Holy Father, they sang hallelujah. We join with them. You've been a good God. You've gotten us to this point in the journey. Don't abandon us now. Given the times, is there a word you would yet share with us? In Jesus' name, we wait on you. Amen. Once upon a time, there was a rich man whose investments were going very well. Not the kind of word you and I need to hear. We who are very envious of that thought given the not very well times in which we're living. Although I need to say this. It is not a sin. It is not a sin to be rich. Nor is it a sin to have the skill to invest wisely. Although, truth be known, there is research now that indicates there is very little correlation between having money or not having it and happiness. Forbes magazine carried a piece describing that, uh, that research, a piece entitled, Money Doesn't Buy Happiness. So let me read this to you, just a line or two from it. It's official, money can't buy happiness. And we're all muttering under our breath, yeah, but try me, please just try me, try me. No. It's official, money can't buy happiness. Sure, if a person is handed $10, listen to this, the pleasure centers of his brain light up as if he were given food, sex, or drugs. Isn't that something? Can you believe it? Let's find out. Let's just find out if that pleasure center really lights up. I have here in my wallet. I'm going to double the 10, by the way. I got a 20 right here. All right. First person that comes to get this 20. (laughs) Actually, I I have two more because the people at First Church felt bad for me and gave me a bunch. So just send it. I got two more. I can take two more. But I want to pull the camera in on the brain and look look at the pleasure center. All right. This was not staged. Okay, guys? Do you, have, do you have the camera on their brain? All right. Watch it. All right. $20. Think what happens to your pleasure center when you... When you... <laughs> Please. You keep it, Philip. You keep it. You're, you're the guy getting married in June. You're going to need it. Trust me. You are really going to need it. Right. Another 20 Now, you're just lucky that the people in First Church had mercy on me. They said, all right, Pastor, just in case you do this again, and I got some extras. All right. So, (laughs) yeah, save the hugs till later. Save the hugs till later. Thank you, God. Give me a high five, though. Come on. All right. The whole point is, ladies and gentlemen, when... when, Nice job, guys. When you receive money... The pleasure center of your brain that registers food, sex, or drugs lights up. But I I have some bad news for you. Hold on now. That initial rush does not translate into long-term pleasure for most people. All right? Surveys have found, this is fascinating, surveys have found virtually the same level of happiness between the very rich individuals on the Forbes 400 list. And by the way, we talked about Warren Buffett last week. You remember that? He's on the Forbes 400, the richest man on earth, $62 billion worth. But surveys, now research shows that the, that the level of happiness between the richest people 
and the Maasai herdsmen of East Africa, and Karen and I were on the Maasai Mara last year, is negligible. They are just as happy as Warren Buffett. So take that to the bank. Huh? Lottery winners. Watch this. Lottery winners re- return to their previous level of happiness after about five years. You get millions back five years. Uh, Peter Eubel, professor of medicine, University of Michigan, just up the road. The relationship between money and happiness is pretty, pretty small. One more. George Lowenstein, an economist at Carnegie Mellon University. Why doesn't wealth bring a constant sense of joy? Listen up. Part of the reason is that people aren't very good at figuring out what to do with the money. People generally overestimate the amount of long-term pleasure they'll get from a given object. Once upon a time, there was a rich man whose investments went very well. And Jesus told us his story. So that even when we are not doing very well, we will do very well indeed. Now, if this were your story hour, we'd call the story, The Parable of the Rich Fool. I see you listen to story hour, too. Good. It's target audience, university students. Open your Bible with me, please. A very short parable with a very sharp point. You've got to read it. You've got to read it. Pull out your pew Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab the pew Bible. It's uh, the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 12. Luke, chapter 12. I'm going to be in the Today's New International Version. If you don't have a Bible, please grab the pew Bible. Those of you watching on television, grab your Bible. This is one unforgettable story. Luke, chapter 12. Let's see, what's the page number in the pew Bible? Uh, page 701. Secret number four, how to turn your surviving into thriving in the midst of this economic meltdown. Let's find out. Secret number four, the final of the four secrets, Luke chapter 12. Got to turn there, sitting here talking and not finding it. Luke chapter 12. Let's pick it up. Verse 16. And he, Jesus, told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Ladies and gentlemen, the word is bumper. Bumper, bumper crop. I mean, there was his big, green, shiny John Deere just clawing up that grain as fast as that combine could move. And I don't know how this thing works, but the grain goes inside the iron belly of that uh, combine and then it comes up a, a, a chute, a snout, and these trucks drive right under that chute and yellow gold, yellow grain piling up. And as soon as that truck's done, here comes another truck and another and another. And that night, after harvesting his entire land, there were so many heaping rented trucks in his farmyard, there wouldn't have been room for one more. And so this farmer sits down at his tiny little desk and he pulls out his trusty Adding machine. He cannot. He cannot believe his eyes. He recalculates and recalculates. He has discovered he has more yellow grain than he has silo space. And he is thinking to himself, Hallelujah. In fact, that's what Jesus has him saying right here. Verse 17. He thought to himself, Mercy. What shall I do? 
I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, ah, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And unbeknown to you and me, Jesus has been carefully inserting into that parable the first person singular possessive pronoun. My, my, my. Uh, what, what, What was it here? My crops, my barns, my surplus grain. And verse 19, myself. Hey, wait, wait a minute, rich man. Hey, who sent, who sent the rain? Who gave you the sunshine? Who had that cycle of light and dark? Who gave you the wisdom? Who gave you the heartbeat? Who gave you the lung to breathe all that energy? Come on. Come on, Mr. Rich Man. Can't you just... Would it kill you? Would it kill you to say thank you to God? It'll kill you not to. And by the way, did you see that? My surplus grain. Let me tell you something. You will never have a problem with room for surplus if you give your surplus away. There's no problem. Give it away. Quit hanging on to that excess. You don't need it. Do you? It never occurs to the rich man that they're poor people. It doesn't occur to him that he wouldn't have a storage problem were he not having a selfish problem. Now, would he? And so he says to himself, well, this, this little soliloquy goes on, verse 19, And I will say to myself, Self, here we go, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Time out, time out. Hey, is it a sin to eat? Of course it's not. Is it a sin to drink? It is not, depending on what you drink. Is it a sin to be merry? It's not a sin to be merry. The Bible says a merry heart does good like a medicine. The big difference is you eat and drink to live, not live to eat and drink. And that's the difference. Your focus. Late that night. Late that night. For the umpteenth time, he has rerun the numbers. Oh, my. The rich man crawls into bed beside his slumbering wife. It doesn't get any better than this. He is, he is muttering to himself. And then he begins to hum. If I were a rich man. And he drifts off. Drifts off. To a glorious sleep. A sliver of moonlight falls through that open window across that contented countenance. The curtains hang motionless and limp beside the open window when all of a sudden they stiffen and then begin to mysteriously tremble as a midnight wind sweeps into the darkness and as if riding on that wind an unseen presence the towers over that bed And a voice in the dark speaks, You fool! It's exactly what Jesus has the voice say. You fool! Look at verse 20. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Self, 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 self. (laughs) And with that pronouncement... The man jerks up, clutches his chest, and before he can awaken her, he's dead. The end. 
Great way to wrap up the school year, isn't it? <laughs> what is his point? Let's let this master storyteller make his point. Look at this. Where's that point? Verse 21. Jesus says, you want to know the point? This is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we may not be able to exegete every fine little detail of this parable, but it is not rocket science to suddenly conclude with only one reading that whatever this being rich toward God is, it is utterly essential for life. That point is so critical, we need to write it down for the final study guide in this four secrets to surviving the coming economic earthquake. Secret number four. Grab your study guide, please. Ushers, let's get study guides in the overflow and here and in the balcony. Make sure everybody today gets a study guide. You're going to want this study guide. Raise your hand. It's secret number four. And those of you who are watching right now, we're delighted that you are. You can have the same study guide. I'm going to put it on the screen right now. You go to our website. There it is. You see at the very bottom of that panel, www.pmchurch.tv. You're looking for this series, Four Secrets to Surviving the Coming Economic Earthquake. This is secret number four. Turn your surviving into thriving. And when you see that, you'll see right underneath its study guide. You click there, you'll have the same study guide. And you can go through with us. And by the way, if you didn't get the first three secrets, they're all sitting right there in that website. You can download them. To your iPod, you want to watch them on your laptop, they're there for you in your leisure to ponder. Four secrets for survival. These are great secrets. By the way, speaking of survival, I wish you were... This church was full, right to the back. Thursday night, David Ramsey, Coast to Coast Live. We had my friend Dave on both screens coming from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And oh my, he spent an hour and a half talking about the economic meltdown we're in. And how, where do we go from here? I'm, I'm very grateful. Karen and I were sitting there. and you know, I'm so grateful. He spoke a word of hope in the midst of this very uncertain time. But I need to tell you that as a follow-up, because he didn't deal with a lot of specifics. He was dealing with generalities. But as a follow-up, Monday night and then next Monday night, two Monday nights, we're going uh, to have a seminar right here. We've got two financial uh, young... Skilled young adults, by the way, Brian Vonderpowski and Scott Schalk, and they will lead out some specifics how to get out of debt and stay out. Just two nights. Then this fall, we're going to give the Financial Peace University with uh, uh, right here, and we'll give you the dates uh, this fall. By the way, let me also point out to you that in today's bulletin, there is a brand new... Did you see this little insert, Faith and Finance? There is a brand new how-to seminar to get us through these times. And we're going to be offering that seminar as well. I see one of the seminar authors here, Ed Reed. And we're excited about it, Ed. We're going to have that uh, this fall as well. All right, but right now, there's, there's stuff we can do. We don't have to wait for this fall. Secret number four. But jot down the point that we didn't want to forget, would you? Whatever it means, jot this down. Whatever it means, this idea of being rich toward God. Make sure you put the quotation marks around it. Because those are Jesus' words. <clears throat> Whatever it means, this idea of being rich toward God must be utter, it must be utterly essential to life. Keep your pen moving. Because if you're not rich toward God, all that you have and all that you are will die with you. That's the point. Short little parable, sharp, big truth. Which, by the way, is Jesus' advance point that he slips into in the introduction. We skipped the introduction, but I want you to read that introduction. Go back to uh, verse 13, same chapter, prelude for the uh, parable. Someone in the crowd, so he's teaching in this crowd. Someone in the crowd said to him, Hey, teacher, 
Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, will you? You know what? There is nothing more pathetic than a family that dissolves into a food fight over inheritance. Bring in the lawyers. Let's go to probate court. Let's settle this once and for all. Are you crazy? There isn't enough there to make it worth destroying your family. Give it up. You'll be fine. And Jesus, by the way, is making that point. He shoots back to this man. Not a very complimentary word here. Hey, man! You! Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? That's verse 14. Now comes verse 15. Then Jesus turns to the crowd and says, Hey, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. By the way, once upon a time there was a rich man, and boom, he shoots into the parable. But I want you to make sure you get the pre, the kind of the sub, sub punchline that he gives before. Jot it down, please. How did he put it here? For life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Boy, how true. In fact, after I wrote the sermon yesterday, Pew, Pew Research came out with a study. National Survey, Cell Phone and Telephones. Finding out how Americans are surviving this meltdown. They are finding out that Americans are settling now for less. Stuff we had to have before, we don't have to have now. We're not, we're not that... We're pretty bright. And that's Jesus' point. Look at Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. There is something exponentially more important than possessing. And in fact, if we had just parachuted into the middle of Luke's Gospel, we would already know. The readers already know. But we just come diving in in the middle of the Gospel. And so we've missed what Luke has already inserted. And what has he inserted? A single line in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew left it out completely. Thank you, Dr. Luke, for remembering it. He inserts it. And I want you to go back just a few pages to chapter 6. Luke, chapter 6. Luke's rendition of the Sermon on the Mount. Luke's rendition of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 38. All right? Matthew, I mean, Luke, chapter 6, verse 38. All right. Jesus speaking. If you have a red-letter Bible, these ought to be just as red as that parable was read. Give, Jesus says... And it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I have to remind you, in case you forgot, that the ancients, they would wear this outer garment, long outer garment, to go all all the way down to the feet. The outer garment became their grocery bag or their suitcase whenever they traveled or went shopping, because they would reach down, all the way down, grab the end, and pull it up like this, and now they have a grocery bag. And when they're in that little village bazaar, uh, would you like some grain? I sure would. They're holding the pocket. The Greek word is for a bosom pocket. They're holding the pocket, and the merchant is just pouring that grain in. And you can see it. It's getting, whoa, whoa, pressed down, shaken together, whoa, spilling over. That's what Jesus is describing. When you give, it'll come back to you the same way, pressed down, Pressing, weighing you down, pressing together, and pouring over. Give, he says. Give, and it will be given to you. By the way, I love the way Eugene Peterson, let's put this on the the screen. Eugene Peterson's rendition in the Message Bible. Look how he uh, translates this verse. You have to fill it in. Jesus speaking, give away your life. 
you'll find life given back. But not merely given back. Given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting. Write that word in getting. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. I love that. Generosity begets generosity. Give and it will be given to you. I've got to tell you, one of my favorite stories when I was a boy was the story of Elijah. I grew up with Elijah in my hero. I mean, could there be anybody greater than that prophet Elijah? And you remember how his, how his, story, how his life story begins. I mean, you think what it would be like. You, going straight through, right past the secret service, straight into the White House, down the corridors, until you find yourself standing in the Oval Office in front of President Obama. And you look at the President and you say, Mr. President... I am here to tell you that there will not be a drop of rain or dew until you hear from me again. And you pivot on your heel and you leave that, you leave that building and you wisely go into hiding. <laughs> that is precisely what Elijah did. He goes into hiding. God says, hey, little brook, little brook called Cherith. Go to Cherith. I will take care of you. Trust me. So Elijah hides down by the waters that will diminish, but he's down by the waters of the brook of Cherith. And you're not going to believe this, but I'm telling you the gospel truth. The next morning, when he awakens and he looks up into that brassy blue heaven, he sees circling in a descending flight pattern a flock of raven, raven, and inside their beaks they're all clutching food. And he eats. And he drinks. Apparently, it's true. God will take care of you until the water runs out. Because Jesus says the sun shines on the righteous and the wicked. You're not getting a pass. If we're having a national drought, if the economy is down, you get down too. God's people don't just say, well, I'm a believer, so the economy doesn't affect me. No, no, no. If it's raining, it's raining everywhere, buddy. And you're down too. And so God says, hey, Elijah, you're out of water. I suggest you go up to Jezebel, the queen, go up to Jezebel's homeland. She'll never think of looking for you there, and provision will be made for you. You go, boy. And Elijah goes, and sure enough, as he gets to this village of Zarephath, as he's coming up to the village, he sees a little woman. Turns out she's a widow, and she's down, and she's picking up sticks. She's looking for kindling, because this is it. This is going to be the last meal. With that fire, a little bit of oil and flour, she and her son then will die. And Elijah spots and said, yo, mother, you know what? And she turns around and she can tell by the garb, this is a holy man. You know what? I am so thirsty. Do you have any water for me? My Lord, she turns, precious commodity, precious commodity. Oh, yo, mother, I'm not only thirsty, I am so hungry. Could you make some bread for me? She looks back at him and this is just this long stare. And she says, oh, sir, I'm just getting some wood for our last meal. My boy and I are now going to starve to death. And Elijah looks into the face of that desperate woman and he raises his index finger to heaven and he says, as surely as the Lord God of Israel is, if you will give me some bread, I promise you that that little jug of oil and that jar of flour will never run out until there's rain again. And then I love this line. Look at this. I love the way the story ends. First Kings 17. And so she went away 
And she did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Hallelujah. Apparently it's true. God will take care of us. Huh? Give. And it will be given to you. That's what the widow did. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That is precisely what the widow did. She gave the all that she had. And God gave it all back to her, poured it into her lap until she couldn't even hold it all. Apparently, would you jot this down? If you make God first... He will make it last. If you make God first, He will make it last. I don't know how it works. I mean, it's so counterintuitive. This little woman has just this left and she gives it up, but she gets way more. I don't know how it works. I only know that Jesus promised it would work. Let me read it to you from Peterson again. Give away your life. And you'll find life given back, not merely given back, but given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. You want to know the secret for turning your economic surviving into economic thriving? Write it down right now. Secret number four. When living becomes giving, surviving becomes thriving. That's it. Write it down. Secret number four, when living becomes giving, surviving becomes thriving. Keep writing. The happiest people on earth, rich or poor, are all givers. Write it down. And by the way, keep your pen moving. They're also the healthiest people on earth. My, my friend Larry Olry, who teaches here at the university. Larry sent this to me and I want to pass it on to you. You have it in your study guide. This is, this is good. This is from what? Michigan Literacy, Inc. You have to fill in a line or two. According, I'm quoting now. According to researchers at the Institute for the Advancement of Health, doing regular volunteer work, all right, giving of yourself, giving of yourself, doing regular volunteer work increases life expectancy. Write that one down. It increases life expectancy. The research suggests that the feeling of warmth, those endorphins, the feeling of warmth that results from helping others can be attributed to the release of endorphins in the brain. Since nerve cells involved are connected to parts of the body that fight infection, jot this down, doing good can help your immune system. I'm still quoting. Write it in. Your immune system. Another study conducted at the University of California Medical School in San Francisco found that volunteering, quote, seems to increase self-esteem, foster a sense of competence, and fight off stress and depression, end quote. Ladies and gentlemen, talk about thriving. Thriving instead of surviving. You got it. And it all comes. Isn't this amazing? It all comes to the one who is willing to give himself. It all comes to the one who is willing to give herself to others. Give. And it will be given unto you. For generosity begets Generosity. That's why I was so proud yesterday. Not yesterday, actually Thursday. To be in chapel. 
And to watch as our president invited 46 young adults from Andrews University. Come up out of the pew. Come to the front. What's so special about them? They are volunteering. Get this. They are volunteering to give a year of their life in some foreign land in the service of Christ Jesus Himself. They're going to put a pause button, hold everything. I'm going to take this year away and give of myself for the sake of others. I was so proud when I watched him come forward. I want to tell you something, you young adults who made that decision. I want to tell you, you can trust Jesus. He will make it up to you. He will take that willingness, and I don't know how he's going to do it, but he will make it up to you. Give. And it will be given unto you. Now, I hadn't planned to do this. Because, but because... uh, we had that extra money that was given to me between services. I want the three people who received money from me to answer this question. Do you want to be healthy and do you want to live longer? Huh? Do you want to be happy and do you want to be healthy? Come back to me. Come, 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 come. The three of you, come on. Come, come. All right. All right. You know what, guys? Jesus is making a point. (laughs) No, no, no. We're going to do it differently. We're going to do it differently. Jesus is making a point. When you give, that's, that's when those endorphins kick in. That's when the immune system boosts. That's when your heart finds happiness. And I can tell by your three faces, you want that more than anything else in the world. And so... I want three others, three others to come here, and they're going to give to you. The first three that come here, I want three others to come. Only three. Only three. Okay, give, give, and give. All right, you guys that got, go. No, you stay here, stay here. Stay, hey, 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 yo. You guys go. No, I want you to stay. You feel healthier? No. (laughs) You're supposed to say, but of course, Pastor. I feel great. I want to tell you something, guys. I'm proud of you because something happened inside of you. You don't feel it right now. (laughs) But it happened. And just because, just because it did happen. You know, they gave me so much money in First Church that I got three more $20 bills where those came from. (laughs) Yep. Now, now I want you to take this. I feel healthy. Yep, yep. You really feel healthy now, I know. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. God bless you guys. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, secret number four. When living becomes giving, surviving turns to thriving. You got to give. You got to give. Unless you think... That that giving does not include the local church. Let this little pastor raise up his tiny voice in an earnest appeal for you to support your local church wherever it is you are worshiping right now. It doesn't matter to me. In fact, would you jot this down, please? The only reason there is a local church is because local Christians are local givers. That's why. If nobody at Pioneer gave, there'd be no church on this campus. Adios. But because people give, we're here. I want to tell you something. 
I bow before God Almighty when I realize the kind of giving that takes place in this university congregation. This is not a wealthy congregation. When I see men, when I see women, when I see young adults, when I see teenagers, when I see little children who are giving as an act of worship and devotion to God, not just return and tithe, they're giving beyond the tithe. When I see that, I bow down to God and I say, God, it doesn't get any better than this. It doesn't get any better than this. In fact, the treasurer the other day, our accountant shoved a tithe envelope into my hand. He said, Dwight, I think you need to open this one. And boy, it's kind of crunchy and full. And I'm thinking, this isn't cash. What is it? So I got out my letter opener and I slipped that tithe envelope open. And I dumped out onto my desk a few beads, a couple trinkets, and four pennies. And then on the cover of the tithe envelope, in a childish scrawl, for Jesus. For Jesus. I want to tell you something. If you're young... If you're young, this is the perfect time to start giving. Because listen, you're young now, but if you give, you will become a very old giver one day. Give and it will be given back to you. But you have to start this. You've got to break the cycle of selfishness. You've got to say, I've got to give. I don't care how poor you are or how rich you are. You've got to give. Give, and it will be given back to you. Pressed down. It can't even keep it in that pocket. I don't know how God is going to make it up to you. I just know that Jesus said, Give, and it will be given back to you. So you here at Pioneer or wherever else you worship, I want you to experience the endorphin joy that Jesus is describing Give. You never have given before? Who cares? Start now. It's about surviving and thriving in the midst of this economic meltdown. Start giving now. Grab a fistful of tithe envelopes when you leave this place and start putting money in that and bring it back and bring it back. Wherever you worship, bring it back. And God will make it up to you. Because as far as I know, He's the biggest giver in the universe. Come on, say it out loud with me. John 3.16 from the old King James. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. A century ago, these words were written. I'll put it on the screen for you. You have it in your study guide. Let us surrender ourselves a living sacrifice and give our all to Jesus. It is His. We are His purchased possession. Those who are recipients of His grace, who contemplate the cross of Calvary, will not question concerning the proportion to be given. Well, I don't want to give too much, you know. No. But they will feel that the richest offering is all too meager. No matter what I give, it's too meager. All disproportionate to the great gift of the only begotten Son of the infinite God. Final sentence. Through self-denial, the poorest. Hit the pause button right there. Because you know how you and I think? We think giving is for those who really have it. If I don't have it, I don't have to give. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Don't you want to live? Don't you want to live? The poorest, the poorest woman or man on this planet can give back 
to the one who has already given all to you. Don't you say, I'm taking a pass because I'm, I'm a student here and I just don't have much. You ought to see my school bill. Who cares about your school bill? What do you have in your pocket? What do you have in your pocket? I can take care of you, boy. I can take care of you, girl. You know that school bill? I already have a plan. I just want to know. Do you have a heart like mine? Would you be willing to become a giver? Because if you are, a giver, I'll bring it back to you. I will take care of you. Just ask the widow, the pagan widow of Zarephath. I'll take it. I'll take care of you, lady. Read that sentence again. Through self-denial, the poorest will find ways of obtaining something, something to give back to God. End quote. Isn't that some? Wow. How did that Forbes Forbes magazine headline read? Money can't buy happiness, but giving certainly will. For there is no happier giver in the universe than God Himself. Let me end with this. Madeline uh, Johnson, one of our church members, she was telling me the other day about their their daughter Elizabeth now. lives out in L.A. But uh, she was a little girl, about three or four years old. And she was given a memory verse. Back when we were little, remember you had to learn these memory verses? So she was given a memory verse, 2 Corinthians 9. God loveth a cheerful giver. You had to learn that one too, huh? God loveth a cheerful giver. But you know how it is with these, these, these children's minds. They get the words turned around a bit, which is why all that week, as Beth was rehearsing her memory verse to herself and reciting it to her dollies, she kept repeating the words, God is a lovely giver. You know what? That little girl got it wrong, but she got it right. God is a lovely, lovely giver. Want to be like Him? You can be a lovely giver too. The little you have. The little you have. Become a lovely, cheerful giver. God is a lovely, cheerful giver. And you know what? You be the same, and your surviving will turn to thriving because you know that you belong to somebody in this universe who, guess what? Will take care of you. Can we trust Him? Can we trust Him? Yes, we can. Can we trust Him? Say it again with me. Yes, we can. Oh, yes, we can.